really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Cheers and welcome, welcome to the Scrim of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you're thinking about getting in touch, well, you know what? Please do. It's easy. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me a good old fashioned email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, the action this weekend was all about Europe, so let's get right into our normal weekly segments. So, starting as always with our current updates, just little things that are up with me in my own life. You know, it was a lovely little Wednesday treat for Free Jack's founding members as they hosted a holiday gathering in downtown Boston. By they, I mean Free Jack's, of course. Got to see several people I haven't seen since the end of last season. Got to chat with a few of the players, including Mitch Wilson, who has been absolutely on fire for the USA rate, uh, lately. TK, Scott Matthew, Mags, Free Jack number one, Josh Larson, had a little panel discussion about what they're looking forward to this year. And then Josh, Mitch, and the Eagle did a bit of runway modeling, showing off the brand new kits for 2023. Also, you know, Mags talked about the future of USA rugby a bit. And, you know, for a change, I felt pretty inspired and hopeful. So that was a really nice change for me. It was a grand old time. The place was, they chose was really cool. Um, they actually had batting cages down there. So I was able to hit a few, which is something I haven't done in dog's ears. Very fun. I can't wait to get back to Fort Quincy in a couple of months. And between now and then, it looks like I might be able to take a quick tour of their renovated facilities in Quincy Center, which is going to be amazing. They are just the coolest organization. It, it really pays to be a Free Jacks fan. I just couldn't be happier. Well, Isa, it's, it's barely even news at this point. But the obvious thing to report is, of course, the sacking of Wayne Pivak and Eddie Jones. In the end, I wasn't surprised at Pivak getting the axe, but I was definitely surprised that Eddie Jones was shown the door as well. So I'm, I'm very happy that all the Welsh fans I know are over the moon at the prospect of Warren Gatlin returning, though I have a few reservations about it myself. Um, I just kind of fear what's going to happen if he begins by performing poorly at the upcoming Six Nations. I feel like fans are going to turn on him very quickly, despite the history. I'm also bothered by how much money the WRU has shelled out to complete this sort of stultifying ordeal. Just seems risky on several fronts to me, but I will defer to the judgments of those better informed. Eddie Jones, however, I mean, definitely some disappointing results lately, but he's still their winningest all-time coach and has been saying over and over how everything he's been doing has been leading up to the 2023 World Cup, and now they have no coach only nine or ten months out. So, you know, it seems like if they were going to fire him, they really should have done that like a year ago. But I don't know. T to be fair, <laughs> obviously, I'm very much hoping this completely blows up in their face. Probably won't, but here's hoping. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and you know what? My thoughts this week are with Levi Davis and his family. Quoting from the article I've linked in the show notes, quote, a £10,000 reward is being offered to help find a British rugby player who has disappeared in Barcelona. Levi Davis has been missing in Spain for over a month, last being seen on the 29th of October. His mum, Julie, previously told BBC Newsbeat about her frustration about the slow progress of the investigation. 
The 24-year-old's family also announced a private investigator called Gavin Burroughs would now be involved in the hope of gathering more information. Julie said the family were thankful to him for volunteering his services. Quote, the fact that we've now got him involved will mean that there'll be more eyes on deck and hopefully finding Levi, unquote. The Worthing Raiders winger traveled by boat uh, from Ibiza, where he visited a friend on the 29th of October. He was last seen on CCTV, leaving the old Irish pub in the center of Barcelona at around 10 o'clock that night. The rugby union player has not been seen or heard from since. Quote, I'm concerned about Levi's welfare. If he's eating okay, I just don't know how he's managing to get by from day to day, unquote, Julie says. Julie last had contact with her son a few hours before he went missing. He sent her a video taken on board his boat from Ibiza, showing the view from the deck and telling her, quote, it's beautiful here, unquote. Since the end of October, there have been a few possible sightings of Levi, but none have been confirmed as him. Then almost three weeks ago, his passport was discovered at Barcelona's port area. Spanish police have confirmed this to the BBC, but say they can't comment on the investigation any further at this stage. Quote, since the last thing we heard about the passport, there's been no more information, unquote, Julie says. She traveled to Barcelona with her son Nathan a few weeks ago to search for Levi herself and is planning to go back again soon. Levi previously played for Bath Rugby, which shared the appeal over his disappearance about a month ago. He's also known for his TV appearances on ITV's Celebrity X Factor in 2019 and E4's Celebs Go Dating in 2020. Uh, it's just such a sad story. I, I feel for his mother so much. And, you know, I sincerely doubt any of you might have any information. But if you do, please get in touch with the appropriate authorities. Um, let's help find this kid and get him home safe. It's just a very scary moment for him. So that sound, of course, tells you it's time for our weekly reviews. And you know what? The European Cups kicked off this weekend. As I mentioned last week, the Challenge Cup group stage matches are actually available this year as well, which is fantastic. Fantastic. So I'm going to do the Heineken Cup first, then the Challenge Cup, just to sort of keep that little bit of separation so that it you know, become a, a convoluted tangle in my own head. So that means we begin with the only Friday fixture in the Champions Cup. And after over 10 years, London Irish were back in and set to take on top 14 champs, Montpellier. I feel compelled to take just a moment here to mention how incredibly bad blow rugby is. Uh, you know, I've decided I'm unwilling to bore y'all with it. Let's just say on the opening day, two of the three matches were horribly botched. And, you know, while I'm, I'm certainly going to mention how many more they effed up, I have realized, you know, it's just bad content to describe it all as part of a podcast. Like if you were unfortunate enough to be using blow rugby like I was, you're already keenly aware of what that experience was like. While if you were able to watch it through, I don't know, a reputable and legitimate provider, you didn't experience any of these issues, you know, so why would you care? So, okay, enough said. Anywho, before halftime, we'd already had a yellow and a red card, but the Exiles led heading into the break. Ben White fell victim to the, I'm going to look at the stadium clock and assume that it's right, but it's not actually right thing, giving Montpellier an extra shot which Kobus Reinach was more than happy to jump on, busting out a sneak attack try that had the comms and the officials equally perplexed. It was kind of awesome. Scary moment just before the three-quarter mark, when Gonzalez, already doing extra duty on the lineouts in the absence of the red-carded Augustin Creevy, was knocked clean out. And it just, it kind of all fell apart after that. Two more tries for the guests, including the second for Thomas Darman, local boy from somewhere in north-northwest of Paris. Uh, the red card, you know, 
finally sapped the hosts as, as the match wore on. And despite a late rally and a promising drive, they'd end up going down 27 to 32. There were seven matches on Saturday, starting off with Celsi Sharks hosting my Harlequins. What a matchup this looked to be on paper. Uh, to be fair, I had somehow blanked about Marcus Smith being out for this one. And, you know, looking at that Sharks lineup, <laughs> it was going to be a tall order for Quinns. Side note, uh, Lucanio Am was out there before the match, just kind of lightly going through some warm-ups. And despite him, you know, still being a ways away from a return, it was just it was just good to see him, frankly. What a player. In any event, it was Harlequin scoring first. Josh Bassett getting his first ever champion, uh, Champions Cup try for a team other than Wasps, at least. But the momentum quickly shifted to the home side, of you know, in the heat. A ridiculous no-look behind-the-back pass off a scrum set up Malpimpi's second try. I mean, uh, I already know that will be a leading highlight this week. It was just pure sickness. And Malpimpi, he was almost laughing when he went in untouched. At one point, the comms absolutely read my mind. When Sharks had been repeatedly pinged for being too aggressive on defense, the ref took Sia Khaleesi aside to have a word with him about discipline. And I said to, aloud to the screen, does anyone actually ever then have a word after the ref says that and then right on cue the comp said i imagine he's just taking a moment to say yeah boys keep competing like this <laughs> uh, oh another side note quinn's fans apparently travel pretty well because you could distinctly hear the harlequins harlequins refrain coming from the crowd good job on them so even when sharks got a yellow followed by a red Somehow, I just I couldn't find any faith in my guys down 15 at the time. Despite having 15 players against 13, Harlequins were still down 32 to 21 with about, I guess, a quarter hour to go. I was interested to see Sharks had more than twice as many tackles made as Quinn's 79 to 38. That's a huge differential. But it was right down to the wire. Will Ed Edwards trying for the conversion to go back up but it was well wide and Sharks would add another try just to ice it, converting after 80 minutes to slam the door 39 to 31. What a match. So Racing 92 versus Leinster was next. And you know what? I have to apologize here. I've spent a few weeks now in this very space talking about how much I was looking forward to this match. I even highlighted it in my recent chat with Johnny McGinty. Thank you again, Johnny, for coming on. That was great. And I spent like a half hour just going on and on explaining why, or probably mansplaining, why it was so important and such a big deal to my partner. I'm apologizing because I said I wasn't going to complain about blow rugby anymore, but this just took the cake. The replay began at halftime when Leinster were already up by 18 points. I'm, I'm honestly in shock that they so badly screwed the pooch on what was obviously the game of the week. I mean, if the score was tied at halftime, okay, I'd be annoyed, but I'd still watch. But at 3-21, to when I know what I know about Leinster, I mean, that's, that's unwatchable, utterly unwatchable, and pretty much ruined my plans for Saturday night. A blow rugby, you are the worst. Final score, 10-42, to and I'm still absolutely steaming. Anyway. Sorry for that. Gloucester versus Bordeaux was next. Gloucester hadn't gotten a sniff of European success in the top competition for 21 years. And right off the bat, signs were pointing the wrong way. After only a minute and a half, the Border Beagles had what the comms describe as, as described as, quote, one gaping hole and one gigantic tight head prop, unquote, with Felatea getting his first ever try for the visitors. Quote, if you see a man that size in front of you, 
you got to double up on defense, unquote, they continued. And the Kings home crowd were momentarily stunned. Oh, kit side note here. Bordeaux's unis were great, very much like Bay of Plenty in the NPC. While this version of Gloucester's uniform, it kind of looked like they were going to use their white jerseys, but mixed one red one in with the wash. Anyway, the, the gear, of course, was the least of their worries as they couldn't get any real go forward. Relentlessly coughed it up in almost like every time they got into the 22. Their guests were up five to 17 as the three quarter mark pass, with even the comms sounding increasingly frustrated at them. Some fairly questionable officiating late in the game, though. But Gloucester, maybe using that momentum, turned it around, scored two unanswered. Ugo Magna saying Bordeaux had switched off. Hard to argue with him on that. Gloucester took their first lead after the 77th minute. What a turnaround. Came all the way back to claim a bonus point win over the over the baffling Border Beagles. Woo, I was exhausted after that one. Uh, Claremont versus Stormers. So Stormers come out firing, but after two easy-looking tries, their offense completely dried up. Though it took the hosts until past the three-quarter mark to make their uh, get their first lead of the night. And then, ooh, what a kick by Jules Plusson. A drop goal to go up seven. Just effing drilled that thing. What a match this turned into. One of the most brutal contests I've seen in some time as well. If I'd been out there, you could skip calling the ambulance and just call the mortician. The crowd, they were frothing, sensing a big victory in Clermont. They looked to put the losing bonus point out of range for the visitors, taking an easy penalty, and 24-14 to 14 was how it would end. I'm a bit baffled by the, the showing by the Stormers in this one. So La Rochelle versus Northampton was the next one on the docket. It was a freezing night with the comms worried that the crowd might start leaving, by the way, when France versus England kicked off in Qatar. Thankfully, I don't suffer from that particular affliction. So no problem on this end. La Rochelle, they, they also came out firing, smashing the Saints four tries to nil in a shutout first half. They kept that pedal down all the way in the second frame, up 46 to zip after 55 minutes. Ouch. After that, they, they, they kind of phoned it in the rest of the way, allowing Northampton a couple of meaningless scores and winning 46 to 12 at the end. The other fixture down in South Africa brought us the Bulls facing Lyon. And yep, just another botched job. Great job. Again, the replay, the video was listed as being three minutes and 48 seconds. So I'm not sure it really captured, you know, everything that happened in that match. Anyway, probably would have enjoyed this one as well as it ended up being the highest scoring match of the weekend with the Bulls edging their French guests 42 to 36. In fact, the headline I saw read Vodacom Bulls triumph in 11 try thriller against Lyon. So yeah, there's that. Finally, on Saturday, it was Cast taking on Exeter. They took some time to chat about how small Cast is, with only about 44,000 people in the town itself, a quarter of whom make a regular habit of packing the rugby stadium. Great stuff. So behind all day, the home side kicked a tying penalty as the first half ended, and we had a match on our hands. But, you know, the next 20 minutes were all Chiefs. However, they were up 12 to 24, headed to the final quarter. Cast, they put in a, a disappointing performance, all told, scoring no tries overall and zero points in the second half, dropping their home fixture 12 to 27 at the final whistle. Uh, by the way, a whistle blown by Mr. Frank Murphy, who to me was perfectly fine all evening long. Who knew? Then it was on to Sunday, where we had the Sharks of the Sale variety taking on Ulster in one of the most compelling fixtures on paper. Ulster 
came in with their traffic cone uniforms while sale. I mean, they looked exactly the same as they always do. As far as the game itself, I mean, wow, it was a bashing. The hosts dropping a 39 to zip shutout. I mean, dang, what happened? Hey, what happened? So, my friends, of course, next up was the match that you all voted on as being the most likely SmackDown of the week, Saracens, hosting Edinburgh. But Edinburgh, they would score first thanks to the golden boot of Buffelli. They held a 12-16 lead headed into the locker room for the halftime. Saris grabbed the lead just around the 60-minute mark, and Edinburgh, ugh, they became their own worst enemy, botching what should have been a simple try getting held up over the line, just epic D by Saracens, but, quote, how he's not scored that, I'll never know, unquote, said the comms. And you could you, you could feel the, the way this one was headed. They poisoned their own goblet again with a badly blown line out just on their own five-meter line, handing the hosts yet another easy one. Suddenly it was 30 to 19 with just 10 minutes to play. The visitors did score next and were, were within four with under five minutes to go, but Self-sabotage was the theme of the day. WP Nell getting a yellow card to leave them down two players for the very ending. And they were down to their final chance with under a minute knocking it on after the buzzer. Edinburgh looked dumbfounded to have lost. 30-26 to was the result in a match the visitors absolutely could have stolen. Just a crusher. By the way, Saracens apparently play Sweet Caroline at the end of their matches, which is just one more reason to dislike them intensely. Another great-looking pairing was, of course, Munster at Thoman Park to face top 14 leading Toulouse. I've been listening to way too many Irish rugby uh, podcasts lately, and I felt like, A, I knew way too much about this match, and B, I'd been brainwashed into thinking it could kind of be a walkover for the home team. As this one began, the first words you heard from the comms were freezing, absolutely freezing. And, you know, as an estranged NFL fan, that is music to my ears. Uh, Y'all know how I I love a spectacle and the mist, the haze, the swirling micro mist just created a a halo of expectation around Thoman Park. And I was well and truly invested. The fog was getting thicker and I was on the edge of my seat. Like, I think all the hype I felt about Rassing versus Leinster sort of transferred to this one. And Joey Carberry, quote, got the reward on the scoreboard, unquote, as the comms said, with a great try. The crowd, I, I have to take a second to say, the crowd was amazing. They were in rare form. You could really feel it even just watching the replay like I was doing. I mean, these fans live and breathe Munster rugby. Pride is the word I, I sort of most frequently hear in reference to the team and the community. The crowd it was like it was like a collective cantankerous dad just sort of one solid single voice reacting to every little thing just really great sort of hive mind stuff i guess so nodded at 10 at halftime with the crowd in full throat so good what a tough place to play it's just awesome in fact this one became became one of my instant favorites i mean the fog so affected the entire broadcast I don't know, it just made the whole thing extra special. The, the the comms started off by beginning to sort of apologize for the visibility we had on the broadcast, and eventually they moved on to just outright complaining that they couldn't even see what was happening themselves. So cool. Uh, under seven minutes to go, it was Toulouse with a suffocating eight-point edge, so methodical, so glacial. The, the crowd were going bonkers, but I don't know, it felt like the tide coming in. 
with five and a half minutes left, Joey Carberry again had no problem making it a five-point contest. Would we be in for a major comeback here? But then, oh my word, a penalty initially ruled to be a knock-on, but the crowd seemed to change the ref's mind with that just power of their voice. And it was DuPont going off with only minutes to go. What a freaking contest. Quote, it looks like Toulouse are going to do what very few teams do, defeating Munster and Thoman Park, just one home defeat for Munster in 20 European games. Make that two, unquote, ranted the comms. And holy cow, was this amazing. 13 to 18 for the elite of the top 14. And this is exactly why people should be watching rugby or, I mean, squinting at it in this case. So the final match for round one, frankly, looked a little less exciting. It was Ospreys taking on Leicester. The Ospreys kit was, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I, I swear to you, I, I spent a huge amount of time trying to think of like a funny, witty comparison. Completely couldn't. Uh, I then went looking for any comparison at all, funny or not. Still came up blanks, nothing. Uh, I think I liked it, but I'm sort of still scratching my head, you know, too much to be sure entirely. Tigers, however, much more traditional, just the, the plain old red and white. Either way. The fantastic crowd on hand were all in from the get-go. It was a bit of a kicking duel for the large part of the first half. The only points through 25 minutes coming through the, uh, those very same opposing boots. It looked like it was going to be a close one come what may. Ospreys were the first to gather a try, and that, right at the break, gave us a 10-6 to home advantage. After the Leicester Tigers took a lead, it was still a very near thing when... Ooh, Anthony Watson. Oh my gosh. Just an individual effort. An absolute worldie. Must have dusted, I don't know, six defenders just on this one play. He did, He dotted it down like a bolt of lightning to put huge pressure on their Welsh hosts. Uh, Cuthbert, taking an obvious extra roll forward on the ground, got pinged by the ref, and wow, did that piss off the crowd. Uh, news for you. Watch the replay, y'all. It was... Exactly what got called. Osprey got themselves within five with just seven minutes remaining. Jack Walsh coolly slotted the conversion as if he'd been doing it for all seven years of his tiny little life, uh, making it just three. But then soon after, with a knock on by Osprey's, the comms queried, quote, might that have been the end, unquote? And yes, afraid so. Osprey's still only with a single home victory this entire season domestically and now in Europe. With the fragile champion Leicester Tigers coming away winners, should we call them the Paper Tigers? Uh, they were winners 17 to 23 after all was said and done. Ugh, what a terrible year for the Welsh. So, very exciting first round in the Heineken Cup. Taking a step back, as you know, there were, of course, eight Prem teams, eight from the URC, and eight from the top 14. And in our opening foray, the Prem came out on top, actually. It was five wins from Premiership teams four for the uh, French clubs, and just three from the URC, being two of the three South African teams, and, of course, Leinster. Big surprise. And in case you're interested, home teams went 7-5 seven and, uh, seven and five on the weekend, with the only road victory from the URC team coming courtesy of, you guessed it, Leinster. Yep. So, of course, in addition to the Heineken Cup, we also had what I guess I should call the, I don't know, Pabst Blue Ribbon Cup uh, on Friday. We got it started with two games. It was Stade Francais versus Benetton, and it was Perpignan versus Bristol. In the first, neither team seemed interested in scoring a try until a ways into the second half when my new favorite named player, so his actual name is Nadir uh, Megdud, 
uh, I think they said he's from Algeria. He's really good. But the way they were pronouncing it just sounded like McDude, which is like the most American name I can possibly imagine. Uh, he crossed the line through some brilliant individual work. That seemed to open uh, open all the scoring doors, if I can put it that way. Benetton, they held it close for a long time. The comms even reflected that they appeared to be the dominant team for the majority of the match. But the Parisians, they got it going eventually and would then roll. 20 to a 26-14 victory in front of a frankly sparse crowd. In the second fixture on Friday, of course, another utterly botched replay. There we go again. But Bristol, they wore a kit that looked like it had been designed by, I guess, like a, a really large committee of kindergartners. But, hey, I loved it. You know, that, that wasn't a diss. As I've said before, one of the coolest things about the European comps is the Bizarro World kits you get to see. And this one was an instant classic. Anyway, the, the Bears, they brought the full noise, as they say, in terms of selection. I, I have to say, I was almost shocked to see just how stacked they are when you look at their roster outright, when they have everyone available, at least. So it's Piatau, it's Luatua, Rondrandra. Thacker, McGinty. I mean, the list just goes on and on. In any event, it was a 5-19 to 19 advantage for, uh, for the visitors going into halftime, and that's where it would end. Not a great showing after the first 40, if I'm honest. And then moving on to Saturday, we had another Welsh side traveling down to South Africa. In this case, the Dragons visiting the Lions. It looked like there were more players than fans in the stadium for this one. I was starting to realize, you know what? South Africans don't seem to really rate the Challenge Cup very high on their lists too much. Anyway, uh, this match was a candidate during uh, uh, during the week for our SmackDown of the week. But Dragons, they brought some energy. Pod favorite Sam Davis, he looked really strong. They actually had a seven-point lead after the half-hour mark. Uh, this one turned into a bit of a shootout. It was locked at 31 after three quarters of the match. Uh, just over a minute left. Sam Davis missed a drop goal that would have won it for them. The comms proclaimed the match had become a rip snorter, which is a phrase I've never encountered before. And then Jordan Hendrickson, he had a shot at goal after the buzzer from way out there. The comms were so sure he was going to make it, saying, oh, he'd been nailing these in warm-ups all day long. But it, too, went just wide, leaving the sides at a draw in the first ever European match at the Lions Stadium, 31-all. So Poe versus Cheetahs was next. I'm not going to lie. I had not clocked that Cheetah, the Cheetahs were even, you know, eligible or invited or whatever. I, I had no idea they were involved with this competition until I actually got to watch them play somehow. And I mean, what a terrible turn for Poe this year. It was the invitational side stealing an away win 16 to 21, dashing the spirits of the faithful on hand. Just no good news at all this year for the home side. And une victoire historique, as the comms said, for the Cheetahs. Next one up was one I'd been looking forward to with Bath hosting Glasgow. Glasgow, uh, they, they brought a roster as underwhelming as those baby blue kits. Ugh. But they, they really showed something. They got an early lead, looking confident against a team I imagined would have been favored at home. With a try right on the 40-minute mark, Glasgow went into the break up 12 to uh, to 19 and that score didn't even budge until the hosts tied it up at 64 minutes it was a duncan weir kick <laughs> several of my friends on the scottish rugby podcast right now are going uh duncan weir um but that put the visitors back up i, I love the guy 
I know several Glasgow fans who will be a, a bit less annoyed than they felt on Friday after the squad announcement. And Bath fans, you know, utterly deflated, clearly expecting an easy win. It was 19 to 22 in favor of the Warriors. That was your final tally. Cardiff versus Breve was next. And wow, ugh, Breve didn't even show up. I mean, they could have put 15 stuffed animals out there and gotten the same result. Just an awful performance, frankly. Um, that's not to take anything away from Cardiff, who have looked better than certainly I predicted this year. And, you know, they looked like they bounced back nicely from their disappointing result last week. Pitching two shutouts in three weeks, it was Cardiff. Still attacking up big after the clock was red and getting a final try to really just put the nail in the French coffin, winning 41 to zilch. Breathe, not in a good way. Then Connick versus Newcastle. Wow, was it ever a foggy day in Galway. Just amazing visuals for this one. My guys would jump out early and hang on, even adding a little more at the end, winning a lovely home fixture with, you know, admittedly, let's say alternative roster selections for both of these teams. Uh, the running theme, though, was the comms increasingly incredulous reactions to the woeful kicking display. I mean, it was just a nightmare off the boot. Nothing was going what we were supposed to. If the game had lasted another 10 minutes, I swear the comms would have just gone down to the pitch and just grabbed players by the scruff of the neck and reprimanded them for how bad they were. They were so incensed. It was awesome. Uh, by the way, with so many European games this weekend, they're really pulling some new and different commentators out of the bag. And, you know, so far this weekend, it had been hit or miss, I guess. But these two guys, they were fantastic. Very slanted in their opinions, but absurdly knowledgeable. It was a real treat. Uh, 22 to 8 was your final score. Great job, my guys. So Zebre versus Toulon was the last match of the day on Saturday. Zebre, they acquitted themselves very well, even leading late in the match. But sadly, Toulon, they found that extra gear, grabbed it back, eventually getting an unconvincing road wing. I have, uh, win. I have to say, 21 to 24, got a feel for the Zebre fans, if, there are, you know, if, they, if they still exist. Then, on Sunday, it was just the single match. Scarlet's at home in, I'm going to do it, I'm going to try to say it. Clenethly facing Bayon. I have to admit, I intentionally skipped this one. I had, I don't know, I had a bad feeling about it. And it turns out my gut was totally fat. I mean, right about it. Uh, Bayon putting up not even the least resistance in a top to bottom spanking, conceding a walkover to the uber mediocre Scarlets. 39 to 7. Oh, I almost forgot. There's also sevens action this weekend. Of course, the HSBC series was back down in Cape Town. If I didn't touch on it, you know, I'd be sorely remiss in my duties. <laughs> Plus, I am very pleased to announce the USA women and the USA men both got bronze in this one. Really good stuff. Meanwhile, uh, New Zealand, the, the women best of the Aussie women to take the gold. And in the men's cup final, Samoa, they got their second shocker match in a row kicking a penalty in extra time to grab the gold. What a performance. Th this seven series, it goes back into the cupboard until January. But, you know, if you're not already on board, I cannot recommend it enough. Okay, my friends, that means it's just about time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Zach Mercer, 
Mr. Mercer, you were on an absolute tear this weekend, appearing at every opportune moment to power your team to an exciting come-from-behind win. The only player of Montpellier with more meters gained than you was your fullback, and you play eight, so that's crazy. But it was your constant ability to just get a little tiny bit more out of every single thing you were doing out there on the pitch that set you apart, as it often does, frankly. Week in and week out, you are a, you are a must-watch player. This weekend of the Heineken Cup was no exception. Zach Mercer, congratulations to you for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck winner. Enjoy all the fame and accolades that come along with this honor, and well done, my friend. Okay, that brings us, of course, to our updates and previews. And you know, this coming weekend will, of course... Be round two of the European competitions. We have another super juicy slate lined up. There are two Champions Cup fixtures on Friday. Leinster at home to Slaughter. Er, I mean, face off against Gloucester. Followed by my Border Beagles. Back at home, the Sharks of the Celsi variety. On Saturday, Exeter at home for the Bulls. Edinburgh face Castres at the Golden Hills. Uh, Lyon will welcome the Saracens. Leicester have Claremont at Welford Road. Ulster, we'd be very glad to be back in Belfast for La Rochelle. I mean, that gladness might come to an end quickly. Anyway, Stormers will be looking to take out their frustrations on London Irish in Cape Town. And Montpellier, host Ospreys, Sunday will feature Northampton versus Munster. Toulouse take on sale. And finally, Harlequins fo- host Rassing. Wow. Yes, they host Rassing. Wow, what a slate. Anyway. Meanwhile, in the Challenge Cup, we'll have Lions versus Stade Francais, Brive versus Connacht, Glasgow versus Perpignan on the Friday with Toulon versus Bath, Cheetahs versus Scarlets, Dragons versus Poe, Bayon versus Benetton, and Newcastle versus Cardiff on Saturday. And to wrap it all up, it'll be the Bears of Bristol taking on the Zebras of Parma. my friends that does it for yet another week and i for one am exhausted i i do apologize for the sort of negative slant on all the action this week you know my my streaming provider really let me down this week and it i was pretty much boiling so it took i had to spend a lot of time editing out it's just a litany of negative comments and it still came out kind of negative so i apologize for that i will go into next week prepared mentally for yet another absurd travesty and hopefully i'll keep on track i'll be uh, i'll be better equipped to focus on the good rather than you know all of that utter nonsense so as always thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe cheers talk to you soon and be well